Welcome to Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're joined today by Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnists Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian, and the topic is the Royals. It's been a rough start for Kansas City. They're 14 and 27 going into the series opener against the Texas Rangers on Tuesday. Hasn't been all bad for the Royals, but we talk good things and bad with Lynn, Vahe, and Sam. But before we get started, here's some need-to-know info in the fast-paced world of Sportsbeat KC and our efforts to keep you updated. A chunk of our conversation is dedicated to Nicky Lopez, the middle infielder who's hitting 353 in Omaha. We discussed his future with the organization, specifically his immediate future, and speculated when he might be called up to the Royals. That answer came about three hours after recording. The Royals announced late Monday afternoon that Lopez would be with the team starting with Tuesday's series opener against the Texas Rangers. Lopez will play second base and Whit Merrifield will move to the outfield. Just a couple of days earlier, Royals general manager Dayton Moore said calling up Lopez wasn't imminent. And on Monday, Moore explained why he said what he did. Quote, it was not intentional. I didn't expect this to happen this fast. I anticipated the end of May, early June based on all the moving parts. But things change in a minute in this game. So, enjoy our conversation about the Royals and know that when we get to the part about Nicky Lopez, understand he's now in Kansas City. All right, Lynn Worthy. These Royals at 14 and 27, better than their record, worse than their record, about what their record says they are. I'll go better than their record, but I'm not sure how much better just because they've the overall sense is just inconsistency so I mean it's it's better than 14 wins but it's not a team that should be contending right now no I don't think so either I mean we but okay all right so where where has this team we're at the quarter pole where has this team failed uh the the, the season I I don't know if anybody went into the year thinking this was a, a contending team but I don't think anybody believed this was going to be at you know, at 41 games, one game better than it was at this time a year ago. So, Sam Mellinger, where can this team get better? Uh, pitching. Um, the, the pitching is garbage. Uh, it's been – we talked about the bullpen a lot early in the year, and justifiably so. The bullpen was just atrocious. I mean, it was just like a monotonous, dark joke, like every day. And, and now the, the rotation has started to catch up. Um, a little bit with that and and quietly we haven't you know this hasn't been talked about that much but the bullpen's gotten a lot better like in the last um, I, I did the math and I think well, I, I, before this weekend um, like going into either Friday or Saturday's game over the last 15 games the bullpen's ERA was 3.65 something like that right in there which is you know top third in baseball and and some of that is they're using guys different like Scott Barlow in particularly being able to go you know more than one inning but the 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 rotation right now a lot of times it's just not really giving them a chance and Brad Keller who the first what five starts or so was pretty solid like pretty reliable um you know not an ace but like a middle of the rotation you know a three kind of guy um and now he does see this he leads the league in walks now with 32 Uh, yeah. yeah yeah and it's been uh, I can't remember if it's been exactly since, but almost since that suspension. Like the starts since then have just yeah. been rough. Since that, after he got suspended for throwing at um, Anderson from the White Sox to Anderson, um, all the starts since since then have just been been rough outings for him. Yeah. Um, just all over the place with command. I mean, some of them he's still giving them some length, but 
They had not been what, you know, everybody thought coming into this year when spring training, oh, he's going to be the best pitcher they got in the staff, and he's going to be their ace. And he looked like it for a couple starts, but since then it's just been all over the place. I think Vahe Gregorian, you can almost put uh, Jacob Junis in this boat as well. I mean, so you're – your opening day starter and your supposed number two guy um, have just been really inconsistent throughout the whole year and kind of bad lately. Yeah, and yesterday when when Ned Yost was talking about Junis, I mean, he he kind of laid it on the line, uh, um, and it basically saying either you're not willing to throw strikes or you can't throw strikes. And and uh, Lynn, you were there. I, it seemed to me that that was very specific at at Jacob. I mean, Ned was talking more broadly, but. I think I think they're really disappointed in him uh, in in ways that uh, they're, they're not going to say directly, but I I, I think that's been uh, a, not a regression exactly, but not not a step forward they expected. And when you combine this with Keller, um, yeah, he's not an ace as, as Sam pointed out, but but he is your opening day starter. And if your if your boundaries begin with those two and and you can't count on just consistency, then you're you're really in the muck. I was I was so encouraged by the early starts of these two guys, um, but is it a little too much to expect from for you know, 23 year old Brad Keller, Rule Five guy, to you know to be carrying the weight of a of a rotation? I, I don't know if that's that's fair for him, Lynn. Well, in going back to what you said, Vahe, about the um, you know uh, Ned's comments after the game, I think he was sort of talking about both because if I remember right, the question was the young pitchers, yeah. what's going on in this last month. And so I think he was talking about both. And I think, like you said, I'd lean towards there's just not a step forward. So I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm not sure if it's really a full step back or if it's just sort of the, we want to call it the growing pains, whatever. But they're not making a step forward. And that really shows right now for them because they finally got the bullpen on track, at least to a certain extent. Um, I think it's, I was looking at numbers earlier. It's like since April 23rd, that bullpen ERA is like like down around three. It might even be a little bit under three since that date um, in you know, some of the guys that people wanted out of here as fast as they could get. You know, Deekman's got, I think, nine straight outings now without giving up a run. Boxberger's like six. They've spread some of those out. But, I mean, those guys that people want out of here as fast as they could get. I'm not saying that they're, you know, lights out, but they've gotten better, you know, with some of those same guys. And they got some new guys in there, too. But the rotation is just, you know, it's, it's holding them back because you have – Days where you can get some offense, and the last couple of days aren't a good example, but they've had days where they've gotten offense, they've been in games, and the starting rotation just can't, you know, sort of keep them – I mean, they keep them in it, but they don't give them a chance to win it. I, th- I think Twitter should have a role in, in the decisions <laughs> of some of these players, you know, whether, whether they keep them or not. I, <laughs> Poor Chris Owens, if that, if that happened. Is that where your that transition is, Blair? Is that, that's your move to Chris Owens? Uh, and the bottom half of the order uh, yes. offensively. It's not just it's not just Owings, although Owings is the symbol, isn't he? Of, yep. uh, There's of, always one. Uh, of what's happened. As we set up the offense uh, – you know, they had gone 74 games counting going into last year without being shut out. And now they've been shut out twice in the last four games, including Sunday – no, not Sunday. Um, uh, Saturday. Saturday yeah. against the Phillies. So uh, – and, and Owings has been in the lineup for a couple, at least a couple of those, hasn't he? I remember if he was in for both. I think he might have been in for both. Uh, the Houston one, I think he was. I'm trying to remember now off the top of my head. Um and that was about the week after, or that was the same week after they said they're going to back off him and have him play more probably like three days a week as opposed to every day where he's moving around. Of course, injuries will sort of 
uh, play a factor in that too because he'll be you know that super utility guy at least to a certain extent where they'll plug him in if they have somebody they can't play that day um but yeah i mean he's just struggled he's just struggled to hit consistently to even put the ball in play to, i mean like you're not seeing the productive outs you're not seeing you're seeing a lot of strikeouts um runner in a scoring uh, position yeah, yeah he's just it's uh didn't he strike out uh, against a position player uh yes today? yeah <laughs> that was yeah that was one of the, that was the game i think uh that's why i can't i can't remember if he was in the next day because the next day was the shutout the one before that was when they scored 12 runs and um yeah i think i think that was the game where they had the position player in at the end so um, he had he had a double in that game too, but nobody remembers the double. <laughs> <laughs> a friend a friend texted me, and it was just if you can't hit the DH dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been kind of been down this road before, though, with certain players and yeah. and, and Ned uh, Yost and, and what he's what his thought process is. He famously has said all along, whenever you think it's time to pull a guy from the lineup, you give him another week. Yeah. I think I think Jeff Francoeur was the symbol of you know of a certain era. Of he got that. a lot of weeks. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did. But is there some merit to the idea of um, Chris Owings not being in the lineup? Um, yeah, I mean, I I think he's holding him back. Um, their explanation on Owings makes some sense to me, and I say that as somebody that doesn't agree with it. It's not what I'd be doing. But when they talk about um, you know, wanting they, they've always wanted their prospects to overperform their promotion. And you know, for anybody listening that's old enough to remember the previous leadership with the Royals, I mean, this is the, the to me one of the biggest differences now versus then is it used to be you had a hot weekend series <laughs> in Wichita and you were in the big leagues the next you were in the big leagues by Monday like that, that's how they that's how they went and, well, and that's now, pretty good incentive I think yeah. just to tear up the Texas right, thing right so now um you know I mean I, I think about like Eric Hosmer um they wanted to keep him down longer than they did but the kid was hitting like 450 in May in Omaha, right? And and it was it was four fifty with power. And that that's kind of what it doesn't always work that way, obviously, but that's what they want from Nicky Lopez. They want when he comes up, and I think like barring an injury or just a falling off the cliff, like I think it is a win, they want him to have overperformed. And I think one other subtle thing at work here it with Owings is they won't say it like this, but I don't think that that organization trusts Mondesi as far as like being a, he's not Alcides Escobar that's going to play 162. They don't trust Mondesi to, I mean, he hasn't played more than I think like 110 games since 2014, 14, something like right? that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they feel like they need to carry, and this is a difference between when they had Escobar. They feel like they need to carry a backup shortstop. And, and right now that's Owings. And until they feel like, I think they're playing the long game here, which is, I'm biased. Like I, I want them to tank. I want them to always be building for a couple years. I think that's how a team like the Royals gets better. But that part of it makes sense to me. That, that And when Lopez comes up, Owings is gone. They're going to shoot him into the sun. They're going to DFA. They'll try and trade him. And if that doesn't work, they'll, they'll DFA him. But then Lopez can be your backup shortstop. But they're going to want somebody to be able to play shortstop when Mondesi can't. I was interested. I, I think this was your story, Sam. It might have been Lynn's, though. I, I was interested in the other the other guy we're thinking about all the time, of course, at, at AAA hitting in the 350s is, is Bubba. Mm -hmm. And you, I think it was you. You had a distinction about his hitting that that's not necessarily worrisome, but but gives them some pause. Yeah. Um, and look, like he's hitting 370 or something. So these are you know not huge 
concerns, but it does come up if you talk to people that have seen him in Omaha and study this a little bit, that he's got, last at last check, it was something like, Lynn, you may know better than me, but something like 21 strikeouts and seven walks or something like that. And um, 28 of his, when I looked it up, 28 of his 33 hits at that point were singles. And when you think about how fast he is, you know, that that's not a lot of power. That That's a lot of soft contact. And I think that's a little bit of a concern. But also, I think more than that, again, like sort of with Lopez, they want him to have more than a hot month. Like he had a he had a really good stretch. Was it two years ago? Was it 17? The years kind of get. Um, he had a good spring training. He, he was awful in April, and then he came on. And enough that we went up and did stories on him in Omaha. Oh, we've done stories but, on him every, every yeah. step of the way, didn't every you, year. Did you get with him in Lexington? Lexington, yeah. <laughs> I, I had him in Lexington. <laughs> but he has not had, literally has not had a full season of success as a professional. And Correct. I, that, that's correct. And I, I think that's a reasonable you know, desire from the organization for him to have more than a hot five weeks in Omaha before they bring him up. It is, you know... As much as I might think he's better than Hamilton, um, because if, if the scouting judgments that I've heard and we've all heard um, are true, he's a better defensive player than Billy Hamilton. And that's what they want. They, I, they want somebody to cover ground. I thought he was major league ready defensively coming out of high school. Yeah. I mean, seriously, with his speed, his glove. He's an incredible athlete. There's nobody that I have pulled for more to be a successful <laughs> right. baseball player at the major league level than Bubba Starling. Yeah. Just, just – um, local kid, Gardner Edgerton uh-huh. High. Um, saw him play baseball and football in high school. Phenomenal football player. And but when we talk about him and Nicky Lopez, there's a difference in the ages here too. And how does that factor into what the Royals might want to do yeah. with both of those guys? Yeah, Bubba is 26. I think will turn 27 in August. Lopez is 24. 24. Is that right? Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean like. I think the the some of the ceiling is off on on Bubba Starling, but you know if if they could call him up, I mean I would expect you know they'll talk this talk, and I think it's genuine. But I would if he's hitting three seventy, regardless of the quality of contact. Oh yeah, he's coming up in September at the very least. He was going to come up in September last year, and then he had was it an oblique, oblique. or hand? Yeah, an oblique. So I I just to me I kind of get, it. and some of it might be you think about it like you know Bubba Starling. Um, he's he's a different he brings a different like sort of mental outlook to all this. I mean, he was a kid from from Gardner, Kansas that that signed for at the time I think it was the second biggest bonus in Major League Baseball history, um, seven point five million dollars. He was a what a four star recruit as a quarterback at so, Nebraska. So in Nebraska, there was a lot of pressure on this kid. And, and I think that that plays into this, too, a little bit, that they want him to be able to build up that confidence. You know, that, that's particularly uh, important for them with, with Bubba. And I think the other thing for, I mean, both of them, um, the fact that they're playing every day right now and where I guess obviously, you know, from a fan's perspective, it's like just push whoever it is out the way to put these guys in the lineup. Like, that's not necessarily the way the front office looks at it. I mean, like with Nikki, and I mean, I know everybody looks to Chris Owings, but I mean, uh, I think I just wrote this yesterday. They don't want, I mean, and they're sort of, if you ask enough people, they don't want Witt Merrifield in the outfield every day. So if you bring Nicky up, second base would be the spot for him. And that means Witt would have to be in the outfield or you'd have to be moving him around and find some way for him because Witt's going to be in the lineup. I mean, unless they move Witt, <laughs> Witt's going to be in the lineup. And so that, mean, that means Nicky can't play second base. So you have, to, I don't know if you're talking about DH, I mean, but they don't, they're not going to bring him up for having to play 
part time. If he if he comes up, yeah. he's going to be playing every day. Now, the calendar works in this equation too because if you right now April May, there's no appetite for Nikki to come up here and play three days a week. You get to the second half of the season, they may have him come up here because he's had x number of at bats and get him some big league experience i know that's something that they're considering right now like with gutierrez now he came up he was playing every day but now with dozier back playing third base um they're still obviously owings with a couple days a week here and there um if he's not going to play regularly they're going to think about sending him back down and depending on what the rest of the things look like, that might be when Nicky maybe gets a little bit of a taste and he could be back and forth. I mean, but it's, I mean, that it's the playing time is the big thing for them. And, and I haven't seen these numbers, but I know there's some talk about Nicky's hard hit rate is not necessarily yeah. off the charts either. Like he's not going to, it's not like he's out there ripping balls all over the place at a time when in AAA, the ball is flying because he's in that major league baseball. I just, there was a I think I just retweeted recently a story about that. Um, Ball is getting this flying in AAA, and these guys aren't exactly, you know, hitting them all over the ballpark. So, um, but, and then also just the fact that neither one of those guys is on the 40 man right now means that there are roster considerations that you have to play into that too. I know fans don't really care about that. Who get rid of whoever you need to get rid of, but it's just something that I think for the front office, they consider these things when it comes to, you know, taking their time. That all factors in. All right, so let's project when we'll see both of those in a major league uniform uh, this year. Nikki, for sure, at least in my opinion. Uh, Bubba, I would think by the time we were looking at September. Um, also, trade deadline, because I mean, I think there's some guys, especially some of these veteran guys who are in one year deals. If they play well, that's the other thing, is that's another reason why sometimes, and I mean, maybe not Chris Owens, because I don't know how much he, how hot he would have to get for there to be value on him. <laughs> but um, some of these guys on the one year deal, you know, you can move them later in the year if there's somebody needs. They feel a need for somebody who's in contention, and then that creates the space for you to bring some of these guys up too. Okay, so after Sunday's game, the Royals had uh, the worst record in the American League, and uh, but not all is, is lost for the Royals. There's some bright spots. We'll talk about those in a moment. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. It's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com/sportspass. All right, we're back talking Royals. Baseball, and uh, they do have the worst record in the American League after Sunday's game at 14 and 27. But there have been some bright spots for this team, more so than at this time a year ago, right? When they had a similar record, but you've got at least four guys in the lineup. You can make a case for the All Star team, yeah. could you not? And uh, let's let's just start at the top. The season Whit Merrifield's having. Um, 
the hitting streak went to 31 games, club record. That was the highlight of the early part of the season. Vahe, uh, Gregorian, uh, what's, what's been admirable about Whit Merrifield's season? You know, it, it's sort of the opposite of the very thing that's holding them back. It's the consistency, right? I mean, he, <laughs> he, he shows up every day and in every way. And he's really been that since he joined the organization. And, and uh, um, I, 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 I always, of all the guys on this team, he's like one of the guys that I most like to just know what he did every day. Um, and there's always, there's always just, you know, that combination of pure ball player and grit. And I think it's, I think it's a little contagious. I think his story is a little contagious too. Like, you know, after six, seven years of, of trying to get here, finally getting it. So I, th- I think that's, uh, that's, that's what I think of when I think of him. I'll tell you what, my enduring image of Whit Merrifield is when he has a bat at bat, you know, he, he is mad at himself. He'll <laughs> smack the bat or, you know, you know, throw it down hard or something. He is, he's ticked off after a bat at bat, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Um, let's just move down the lineup here. Um, Alberto Mondesi, Sam. What um, you know? He's having. I don't. I don't know if he's ahead of schedule. He might be. I don't know. We we saw him in 2015 at, in the World Series. That's how much the Royals thought of him. Yeah. Bring him up for the 2015 World Series, and uh, I believe he struck out looking, or did he? Was he swinging? I can't remember. I remember he struck out. <laughs> yeah, he did. He went down. Um, he, he was over. The, the, totally over. That moment was was too big for him, and. He only had the at bat because the game was out of reach. Yeah, yeah, that was um, the game they lost in yeah, New York. It was yeah. the one World Series game they lost. They brought him up to run, basically, just to be another another pair of legs um, that they could use as a pinch hitter. But I mean, or pinch runner. I'm sorry, but he, I mean, he's like he's amazing. Like I mean, he is. You know, whether you want to go back to to Carlos Beltran or Bo Jackson, I mean, he is the most physically talented player that the Royals have had since one of those two guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a switch hitting shortstop who can hit 440 foot home runs who's one of the fastest i mean like by sprint speed he is faster to home to to first base from the right side than billy hamilton is from the left i mean it it is ridiculous how much and he's got a huge arm um i don't know you said like is he ahead of schedule is he behind schedule you say you don't know I, i don't think anybody can know because like his schedule has always been the thing that the, that the Royals and other baseball people have said is like, whenever he figures it out, whenever he believes that he is as talented as everybody around him believes he is, it's over. Like that, that's the term that I, I keep hearing. It's like, it's just over. And it might be starting to get over, you know? Cause I mean, he is, look, his plate discipline is still a concern. Like that, that's, if something's gonna keep him from reaching the very top of that ceiling, it's that he strikes out a lot. And and he doesn't walk enough to 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 offset that. It's it's basically plate discipline. It's what what Hunter Dozier used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if if he can solve that a little bit, I mean, I mean he he is he is an MVP caliber talent. Like if if next year he is the best player in baseball, that would not be a shock. Like he he is. I mean he is that talent. He's better than anybody. He is more talented than anybody that the Royals have when they win the World Series. That's true. I, I believe that to be true. And yeah. Lorenzo Cain was third in the MVP. Lorenzo Cain is the year. closest. Yep. And but, but I don't remember ever thinking, maybe Lorenzo, but yeah. uh, you, as good as those guys were for what they were, what they meant here then, I don't remember thinking there's there's, there's an MVP case yeah. being made across the board anywhere. Honestly, you'll end up with better numbers yeah. this year than Cain did in 15. Lorenzo Cain was a next level defender. 
Um, and but I, I think he hit 15 home runs in 15 when and and he was third in MVP voting that year. Right. I mean, a distant third. It, it was Trout and then a bunch, then Donaldson and then a bunch. Um, but he was third in MVP voting that year. Um, but I mean, Mondesi's, you know, potential as a hitter, as an offensive player, is just a lot more than Lorenzo Kane. It's all potential still. It is. It is. But man, I I like what you I like your thought process. I think when the when the game starts to get boring for him, he's going to be special. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. When, when he masters the game, yeah. uh, the way the greats have – you've, you've yeah. seen that happen in, in baseball before. I mean, it, and it is just like – to me, it, it's like a thrill to watch him. I, I just don't remember being like this – like just genuinely excited to see a particular – play because, I mean, he can do – they've had guys like – you know, Hosmer can do specific things. Sal can do specific, you know, like Grinky when in 09, when he was Grinky, like, you know, that was fun. But like, I mean, Mondesi can, I mean, he, he can win a game with a play in the hole. He can win a game, you know, with nothing but his legs. He can win a game with a home run. I mean, it, it's just like over and over and over again. I mean, he, he can do absolutely everything. And, and, and we're at that moment where we're starting to see him grow into that. It's no longer just, well, Mondesi's coming, like Mondesi's here. And now we can see. I, I think it's an incredibly cool thing to be able to do. And how about just the, you know, the, the idea of the parking lot producing, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Mondesi and Mahomes just across the, uh, just across the way. Why hasn't that T-shirt been printed yeah, yet? You yeah. know, the Mondesi Mahomes T-shirt. Same age. Yep. Uh, premium positions in in each sport. Um, it, it's funny too. Like you, you'll hear like baseball people talk about this sometime. Of, you know, if if money grew up in America we would not have him in our game. Like that's, that's what more than one person will, will say. Like he, he'd be a football player. He'd be, he'd be a quarterback. He'd be a receiver. He'd be a cornerback. He'd be something. He, he would not be, you know, like American kids for whatever reason with that type of, and there's a lot of reasons we could talk about that a different day, but um, you know, with that type of just high ceiling, like fast twitch athleticism, they, they play other sports. And this is kind of what it looks like when they play this one, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I like that topic. And it, if he was Brazilian, he'd be World Cup soccer yeah, player. Right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, so. absolutely. No, he's that he's that good of an athlete. He yeah. just he just is leads. Yeah. Does he lead the league in triples right now, or uh, it stole? It was, I think he just took over the lead in stolen bases. Stolen bases, I triples. Both. I'd have to look. I haven't looked. At, I, I know the Royals lead. They, yeah, they baseball do. Baseball in those two categories. And at one point, he and Merrifield were one and two. I think. Yeah. Um, just individually, um, that was probably a couple of days back, or you know, I forget exactly when that was. Um, but yeah, uh, and I think um, Mondesi clearly, you know, like Sam has uh, sort of gone chapter and verse. It's clearly, tools, athleticism, best player, one of the best players in baseball. You know, just in terms of athletic gifts, and surprisingly, I think to this point in this season the Royals have a guy who is not that way athletically but as far as production is one of the best hitters in baseball and that's Hunter Dozier if you look at the numbers and I don't know how many people saw that at all coming into this season I mean I remember reading one of those baseball preview magazines where they had the anonymous scout who I believe the quote was something along the lines of really they're starting Hunter Dozier every day at third base well yeah really <laughs> they're starting Hunter Dozier every day at third base and he's one of the best hitters in the American League thus far after a slow start where people were like 
I don't know if that, this guy's going to, you know, make it. And now he's, you know, he was leading the uh, – I haven't looked today, but he was leading the American League in OPS at, for a long stretch, was top five in batting average, slugging, on-base percentage. Um, he's up to, I think, nine home runs now. It's nine or, or – I think it's nine. Nine. Um, and he's just – I mean, I mean, he took over that cleanup spot. I remember, I remember in spring training when Sal went down and, like, who's going to be the cleanup here? Is it going to be Solaire? He strikes out. We're not sure if he's going to be staying healthy. And it was Solaire for the first, like, week or two. And then one, once Hunter started swinging the bat, that, that switch was easy. And that gave you a top three and that – I mean, top four in that lineup that's – you know, those are the guys you count on. That's where the runs have come from. And Dozier's been a key to that. The thing I really appreciate about Dozier is that – it's a little different than Mondesi, right? I mean, Mondesi, you know, yeah, he was – it was little flashes, but 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 you weren't going a long period of time thinking this guy's not going to make it. But a lot of people, I think, went a period of time thinking the Dozier's just not quite going to make it. A hand just went up in this room. <laughs> Present company um, included. Yeah. And it is it's, – so it's interesting the matter of perception, right? I mean, I remember last year – at some point writing about seeing a little progress and maybe I just look for that right maybe you just get wired that way but feeling like you saw something something starting to come and then he kind of fell off the cliff a little bit later and it was like oh well but it so many times we're faced with this exact situation with with youngish players they're coming up and they're not quite all there um they don't all have certainly few of the gifts that Mondesi has so the rest of them are, have a little more pedestrian path, right? You know, trial and error, not not quite being there. And I think you wrote extensively about this, Sam. It, it, crucial to Dozier is, is recognizing the strike zone. It's unbelievable. Like, I mean, Dozier, my, that was my hand that went up um, because I mean, I thought, like, I just thought he, he was he was a number eight pick, I think, in the draft, the top ten I think pick. It was seven. Seven. It might have been seven. Then. It was a top ten pick in, in the draft as a college hitter. Those guys are supposed to hit right away. And for him to be 27 and, you know, his career on base was like 280 or something. I mean, and he was just looked overmatched. When he hit the ball, he'd hit it hard, but whatever. Like, he struck out so much. And, like, that's the amazing thing to me about his season is that if you talk to him or if you look at the numbers, the answer is, well, he just stopped swinging at balls. Now he's swinging at strike. And it's like, well, right. Like, that's what everybody is trying to do in baseball. Like, that's the whole Why game. Why didn't anybody think of that? You know, it's like, well, he just started hitting shots. Well, like, yeah, it just, I don't know how, how did he do that? Like, that, that, that part of it is just absolutely amazing. And look, it's been, what, seven weeks or whatever? I mean, we're, we're just shy of two months, so you want to see it more and all that stuff. But if, if, if he keeps that chase rate, diminished this is real he's not going to lead the american league in ops i don't think but he's a real middle of the order for a championship club team that's whose whose value is uh amplified because he's got some positional versatility there right play either corner in the infield or the outfield yeah. and he doesn't that's i mean good. he hasn't even really been fully healthy this year because he's had this back issue that kept him from even playing in the field yeah. for i'm trying to remember what it was like a, a week or two and maybe even longer than that um and he's still, I mean, so there's a game in Tampa where they had him DHing because, like, his back was flaring up, and they're like, okay, we still need this bat in the lineup. And he had, like, a single, and back started to tighten up. They they stretch him out because, you know, he's not in the field, so he's got time in between innings. They can warm, trying to get him warm, stretch him out. And so then he goes back out there and hits a home run. And he's, like, tightening up, running the bases. So, I mean, he, he's out there smacking balls out of the ballpark. When he's, you know, he can barely move his his back and he can get himself, you know, get the swing around. Um, 
and now he's starting to you know feel better. I think I think a lot of what we we're talking about with him, just like you know, obviously there's the plate discipline, but there's just also I think just mentally being more comfortable. Like he's talked about not getting in the box and thinking so much about mechanics, yeah. and that's sort of being comfortable with where he's at. He talked about this a little bit at Fan Fest. Just the I think the fact that when he be, could start playing every day he was stepping into Moose's role. That played a factor, too, just in his comfort. I mean, he And he mentioned it in FanFest when I talked to him a little bit, that, like, yeah, that was something that it took him a little while to be comfortable and find himself again. Um, and I think with the plate discipline, and he pro- I think he mentioned this to you, is he, when it comes to the mechanics and all that sort of stuff and not thinking so much and being more controlled, he had that at one point, but then he had the, the year where he was injured and missed a whole lot of time. And I think that set him back because he had finally found that, then spent all that time not playing. Yeah. And then you come back and it was back to, you know, before he sort of got on track. I think it was 17. He played something like 30 games. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. It's weird. Like uh, when this happens, like, I mean, baseball, a lot of times all of us, right? Maybe it's just me. But I think all of us like tend to oversimplify things and – like the hitting, well, just forget about your mechanics and swing at strikes. And it's like, what? <laughs> when you get up there yeah. against a guy that's throwing like 95 with the slider and all this stuff, it's like, well, I, my mechanics better be okay. Well, right. I was going to say, plus it's like mechanics do count. Yeah. Like, you, know, you, yeah. you, you need them. And it's it just, you don't see, and again, like very obviously, like let's see what his numbers are at the end of the year. And then he'll do it, and then you got to do it again. <laughs> right. Um, but gosh, like it's just, you don't see that often a guy go from that, at least in my dumb eyes, like lost. And, you know, a 27 year old, basically former prospect at that point, um, with a 280 or whatever career on base and not that much power. And then he's like, and now he's just taking it's incredible. Look, by you saying that, I, I feel the need to just throw this in there too, though. Talking about a guy who looked lost and passed his prime, passed his time, <laughs> was Alex Gordon. Yeah. And, and, you know, Last year or two, I can remember talking to Dayton. I think we've all had different conversations with people over there where they expressed sort of true mystification in, in the sense of like they didn't think the bat speed was any lower they, they, or, or had been reduced at all, diminished. Like they, they really seemed to struggle to understand what was going wrong, but they thought everything was still there. And I think we scoffed at that. I, I did. I, you did. I mean, you kind of wonder how this could possibly come back around and – I don't really know how to account for what has snapped back into place. I, I, Lynn, you wrote about that a couple different times, a couple different ways. What, what, what do you think has happened to make it work out? Well, the uh, the age old uh, baseball term adjustments, <laughs> <laughs> adjustments. He um he made he finally he got to a point where he struggled enough that things that they had been talking to him about and trying to get him to change. When you're or go you back know, to right? Yeah, some those, yeah, yeah. Some in some terms go back to when you can't you know when you're just struggling to a certain point that you just and I think Ned um, was saying this the other day you get to a certain point where you know because you have to be stubborn to be as good as he had been so it takes a while for you to be willing to change but you get to the point where you're just sort of like done it's like all right what do you guys got for me <laughs> like what 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 can you what can you do um, even to the point where I think um, uh, so now Dale's fame was the hitting coach from I want to say it was 14 to 
16 or 17. And so during that time, and, and he's one of those guys where he was the hitting coach 14 to, to 16 or 17, but he had gone back and reviewed all of Alex's, you know, looked at his bats, his stance, everything from early in his career. So it's not like he was just familiar with that, that span that he was the hitting coach. He's, you know, whatever Alex had done, he was familiar with. And so I guess he'd been trying to talk to him about making some changes and he sort of resisted. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I think Ned made the comment that, you know, he, he told – uh, Dale, he said, hey, so w- we need you to go f- you know, fix him, get him back. And he said, when he's ready, I'll fix him. <laughs> and I guess basically last year he became ready. Last year between having bad numbers, injuries, just not, you know, um, being comfortable at the plate. Um, finally, it was actually one of the injuries that sort of gave him a chance to step back and start making those changes because you hear guys say it's hard to do when you're, you know, playing every day to make major changes and to be, do it consistently. Um, but when you have that time off and you can go in the cage and do, you know, a thousand swings and do these drills, then it becomes a little bit easier. Um, and so last year he sort of did that. He made the changes, got more upright in his stance, um, uh, changed his hand placement a little bit to give him – he uses the term free his hands up, Gordo does, but um, basically just to um, – trying to keep him from being so crouched over because it was basically eliminating a whole bunch of pitches he just couldn't get to. Um, and when they made those changes, he started to see the results at the end of last year, took yeah. it into spring training, and he's kept with it this season. And he's, you know, besides Hunter consistently, he's probably been, you know, the second best hitter in terms of production in that lineup. I, he, I think, can I say something yeah. real quick? Um, he has had the weirdest career. <laughs> Just the absolute, like he, he, in consecutive years, he was uh, the college player of the year, then the minor league player of the year, and then the Royals opening day third baseman. He had two standing ovations before he ever took a swing in a major league baseball game. And, and, and then he sucked for a long time. (laughs) And then like, I'm just looking at these numbers. He had a 671 OPS in 2010. And the end of that season, he gave Bob Dutton the, I'm going to dominate line and then the next year, he had an 879 OPS. It just jumped. If you went into a coma in the winter of 2015, <laughs> right after Alex Gordon signed that contract, and you just woke up, and you found out he's hitting 296 with a 381 on base and a 542 slug in the last year of that contract, you would think that was the best contract in the history of Major League Baseball, right? But, but I mean, he said he's a bigger jump, actually, from last year to this year in terms of offense. And again, like we're in mid-May, right? But still, it's just it, it's the weirdest career, like just the absolute weirdest career. But I think he is a player who this this market appreciates. Yeah. He is in his thirteenth, I think, major league season. There were only a couple other players that have been with their original team longer than him. I think Dustin Pedroia is up there. Ryan Braun, um, I miss Felix uh, King Felix in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, just and you know he got his 1500th hit career hit the other night with a two home run game against the Phillies and there I think of, of the, the other two that I mentioned Pedroia Braun there may be one or one or two others that have had as many hits for his original team that are currently playing so I don't think he's never not been appreciated here in the fact that he's Nebraska kid and local product I can remember when when he was drafted in the early years of his development. Dayton Moore often talked about that's the way they did it in Atlanta. They found Atlanta high school kids and mm-hmm. tried to, you know, mo- you know, Chipper Jones was through that, uh, came through that way, and others, the, the Braves. So he was sort of an example of what the Royals could be if they, they developed homegrown talent. He, you know what? 
I think when his career, we'll, we'll talk about this another day because the Royals are going to have to decision have a decision yeah. to make about Alex Gordon. Let, yeah. We'll save that for another show because I think that's really interesting. It's so interesting. Um, but when when his career is over here, I think he's going to be one of the top six or seven players who ever played for the Royals. Um, you've got the the Brett White, McCray, Wilson. Um, who am I missing? Um, uh, the, you know, going, maybe after that, you know, who's if you're going position players, you know, Amos Otis, Amos Otis, would that, be he'd be the other one, top on five, list. I think, yeah. of Royals all time, and then Sweeney, or because because of the lifetime production, career production, Alex Gordon or Mike Sweeney uh-huh. would be right after that. So, um, so yeah, it's a you know, it's it, you keep waiting for more. You always want a little bit more from mm-hmm. Alex Gordon, but. His career numbers are looking pretty good right now. He's going to get close to 200 home runs with the Royals. He's already fourth on that list. Um, I, again, we'll, we'll save his contract decision for, for another show. Because I really wanted to, before we finished up, I wanted to talk about one more guy um, who's also a very long-tenured Royal, and that's Danny Duffy, who uh, will make – I think he's the next Royal star. He's going to start yep. on Tuesday against the Rangers. So a uh, t- couple of good starts for Danny Duffy – and in a, at a time when the Royals are looking for some consistency from their starting pitching, he's been at least the good, the recent good news, hasn't he, Lynn? Yeah, yeah. I mean, since coming off the uh, the IL, uh, not the DL anymore, the IL. I'm still not um, used he's to made, that. <laughs> he's made three starts. Um, I think he gave up the home run in that first start uh, against, uh, I think it was Anaheim. Um, and other than that, I think it was, it was basically like that was two of the three runs that he gave up, if I remember right. Um and then he looked good in that start against uh, Houston. I mean, that was the game where they scored a bunch of runs and basically it was like throw strikes, you know. So he he did six and two thirds. I mean, he gets almost through seven complete just his third start, uh, you know, of the season, um, and gave up two runs and, and you know just pitched strong. Um, he feels healthy. I know he said it in spring training and like at the end of last year, he's used the analogy of his. He was pitching with his shoulder in a vice grip. Um, now he feels healthy. He's throwing, you know, the, um, the breaking ball again, which, I mean, he did it last year, but a couple years ago when he was coming off of surgery, the, the, the curveball disappeared. He was didn't have the confidence to throw it, so he's, he's feeling healthy, throwing all of his pitches. Um, and for a rotation that's got these guys, these young guys we talked about earlier, that just you don't know what you're getting when they take the mound. They could be really good. It could be really bad. It could be somewhere in the middle. You have some consistency with Duffy that you know when he takes the ball, you're going to get at least a certain level. And there's, you know, he could maybe flash one of those old time Duffy <laughs> outings as well. Yeah, it's been fun to see him throw the last couple of games. All right, so the Royals have played, as of our recording, 41 games, which means it's not technically the quarter pole. It's one game plus the quarter, but 40 more games will bring him to 81, and that will be the halfway point of the season. So let's. Let's end by projecting the Royals' record in the next 40 games. Keeping in mind, they've played a, kind of a difficult schedule the first, you know, the first quarter of the season. A lot of teams that are, um, you know, 500 or better, thanks in part to the Royals. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also, but also, with 27 of those wins coming against the Royals. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I, I don't. But next, after the Rangers, they think they get the Angels in L.A. or in Anaheim this weekend. I don't know what the schedule is after that. But I think if we project the next, the record over the next 40 games, it'll at least maybe give us an idea of we, if we think we're make, they're making progress or not. Vahe, let's start with you. What's, 
What's a 40-game record that will take the Royals to the midseason point? I think this 40-game record is more of what I think they are. I, w- I would project them at about 18-22, and 17-23. and 23. Not, not quite a winning team, but, but a better team than they've shown. I think you just spoke for Sam on that because he. Gave I it. just did the math. Like it was literally, I was going back between uh, seventeen and eighteen, and, and my calculator here tells me that eighteen and twenty-two would be a pace for seventy-three wins, which is pretty much what I, th- I think that's what they are. The weird thing about this team is that um, they deserve their record. They deserve every one of those losses, but in the stuff that matters to me anyway, because I look at this team like long term. I never thought this team would contend. In the stuff that matters, they're much better than that. In the stuff that matters, they are making some real progress. I think maybe that'll start to show the the pitching. I still believe in Brad Keller, uh, not as a one, but as a three-ish, you know, give or take on a, on a good team. Um, I think he'll get it fixed. Um, Junis, I'm less confident about, but I just the the stuff's gonna get going. I believe that because so much of that record is the bullpen just stunk for a long time, and and I think the bullpen's a little bit better now as well. What do you think, Lynn? I, I, I'd I like to, in my mind, say that they'll be more like a 500 team. I just I can't quite go that far yet. So I'm going to go with 19 and uh, – that would be 19 and 21. Um, I'll give them that. I'll say they just can't keep losing as many close games as they've already lost. I think seven one-run games already they've lost. And with the bullpen at least coming, coming around, that number's got to change. So I'll give them closer to 500. I just can't quite – Give them 500 off of what I've seen thus far with my own eyes. <laughs> That's right. The closer you are to it. So I'll, I'll give them 20 and 20 just because the math is easy. So <laughs> That's a pace for 81 over a full season. I didn't have to use my calculator. <laughs> okay. Well, Linworthy, Sam Ellinger, Vahe Gregorian, thanks for stopping by and talking Royals. Yeah, thanks, Blair. Thanks. Links to the stories that we've discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. This has been Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon to talk Kansas City sports.